0: i got to walk all this over. You know how that goes. You know, I got it. <clears throat> OK, so we are in the second week of our sermon series, um, All In, part two. Last week, or we, this is the sequel, obviously, of All In, part one. I suppose that's sort of like when I grew up, Star Wars was just Star Wars, but now it's Star Wars, A New Hope, right? So the first part of All In, part one, was about the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Part two is where Jesus said, and the second is most is is just like it: love your neighbor as yourself. So today, as we get into love your neighbor as yourself, we're going to read Romans chapter fourteen, as uh, 13 through 23 or 22. Ooh, I should know that, huh? Um, it's the second half of this chapter, if you'd pray with me before we read God's word. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for this great gift of of your word to us that tells us how to have a relationship with you, that guides us always to Christ, who is and was our only hope. And Lord, as we are here today, we ask the Spirit, fill this place. The Spirit, continue this worship through first music and now your Word. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me for all that I have done wrong, that you would put me in the shadow of the cross, that you would not hold my sins against me for these great folks. Let me be your mouthpiece. And Lord, let your Word be music to our hearts. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I took my glasses off as if I don't have bifocals. I don't know what Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men." So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God." Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what, he, or for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. It feels like it's been a long time since I saw any of you. Um, this is the first time in June that I've been to church at Three Timbers. Um, most folks know, uh, by the way, that those who don't know me, I'm Tim Hoynes. I'm filling in for Jeff this week, so Jeff's not coming. So, um, uh, but all you guys know that I do a lot of pulpit supply, right? I, I, not only do I fill in for Jeff, but I have a, a friend in Fremont. I fill in for his vacations. There's a church in Avoca, Iowa that I've served for a long time. And so that's where I've been the last few weeks is serving those churches. And I love doing pulpit supply. I love going out to those churches and worshiping with other members of the family of Christ. But being a fill-in preacher can have some challenges. Now, a lot of times it's great because like in Avoca, they don't care what I preach, right? They just say, hey, whatever you want to preach. So I find a verse that moves me and I have a, God moves me to give a message. That's great. Uh, when I preach in Fremont, they're a lectionary church, which means that every week you're told what, what, you know, what verses you're going to preach on. And then, of course, this came up, and Jeff said, Hey, here's the verses you're going to preach on, and here's the title of your sermon. Don't judge one another. And I read the verses that I just read, and then I'd read the first part of chapter 14, and I emailed Sarah, and I said, Did you get the same verses? Because I like the first part of chapter 14 better. (laughs) To which she said, No, that's the verses I got. So this is what you're getting. Chapter 14 of Romans is is, is squeezed in between chapter 13 and 15. That's how numbers work. (laughs) Chapter 13 is about um, how we can love God through the law. Now, through the law, uh, Paul is talking about uh, the Ten Commandments. You know, those ones that say don't murder, don't commit adultery, um, don't covet, don't steal. All those commandments that kind of roll into that love your neighbor as yourself sort of thing. Chapter 15, then, talks about how Christ has been an example to us about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And 14 is written kind of really at a congregational level. I mean, yes, you can take it and make it a, a, an individual thing, but really it's written at a congregational level. And then even as a congregational level, how maybe this whole church might, might deal with this church and it's talking about not judging one another. So the first half then talks about these people that are weak in faith and strong in faith. And I wanna break that down to you really quick, because I want you to understand, Paul's not writing about a person who's a new Christian and a person who's maybe a long time believing Christian although it's, it's okay to preach it that way, that works too, but what Paul is talking about is this real historical problem they were having at the time in the church in Rome. Because you see, there were two very distinct believers in the church in Rome. There were Jewish believers who had become Christians and Gentiles who had become Christians. Here's the history. The early church we all know was Jews who believed in Jesus as the Messiah and they started spreading the good news of the gospel out. All the places they first went to were fellow Jews. The early church was Jews who'd converted to Christianity. And yes, they did start to spread out into the Gentile world. 49 AD, Claudius is the emperor of Rome. For some reason, he gets mad at all the Jews that are living in the city of Rome and he kicks them out. So the church in the city of Rome grows and develops without. Jews. This is really important. Because what happened in the early church as the Jews were converting, and then they were converting Gentiles, is there was this whole big discussion on what was going to happen. Do we have to first convert them to Judaism before we can have them be Christians? If they convert to Judaism first, do they have to follow all the laws, the food laws, the worship laws, all those rules that, of course, the Gentiles, and and, and Jesus came, and then Paul taught, you don't have to follow. You've been freed of all of that burden of the rules. 60 AD, Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome. The Jews, now Nero is the emperor, have been allowed back into the city of Rome, and they're joining the Christian churches. That developed without Jews who were Christians who were having all that debate of whether or not we should follow the food laws and the worship laws and all that. So what you have is Paul writing a letter to a church where people are disagreeing about how we should function. And so Paul's saying, look, if you're so weak in your faith that you can't decide whether or not it's important if somebody eats pork or not, or whether or not somebody worships on a Saturday or not, or if you're so weak in your faith that, or if you're so strong in your faith that you would put a roadblock in the way of those people who are still trying to figure that out. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about in that first half of the chapter this weak and strong people in their faith, but not that they're weak, weak, or too strong, it's that they're still trying to figure out how to be one church, how to get along. That moves into the second half of the chapter, the part that we just read. Yes, it's still not about judging each other, but now He specifically says don't put a roadblock in the way of a fellow believer. That will hurt their faith. Now in our reading, Paul continues to talk about the food issue. I don't have enough time to go into how important that food issue was. It was a big deal. What you ate was a huge deal. You think that's silly because we live in a world where the food issue has been taken care of. We live in a world where we have state fairs that fry butter and put it on a stick. <laughs> we live 40 miles away from a town that has a steakhouse that dedicates an entire weekend to eating the fried testicles of livestock. Now, I happen to love Rocky Mountain oysters, so I'm not judging anybody. And I promise you, I would take a second bite of that fried butter. Even while the the paramedics are putting the defibrillator on, right? We don't worry about food laws anymore. But we still put roadblocks in front of each other. Remember, this is a letter that's congregational. Not only our congregation, but how we get along with other Christian churches. And Christian churches still put roadblocks in front of each other. And these are the biggest ones they do what we wear to church and how we worship. I'm wearing a suit today. I don't know that many people see me in a suit very often. Nobody wears a suit anymore. But most of you would have a hard time remembering when you saw me wear a pair of blue jeans to church. It's not how I dress to church. When I go and preach at other churches, I always wear a tie. I wear a tie because I'm a guest at their pulpit, and I feel as that a guest is their pulpit, I should be a little more formal. As a guest at that pulpit, I should be a little more professional looking. I don't ever wear a tie here. Well, today I did, but I don't ever wear a tie here. The reason I don't wear a tie here is I'm not a guest here. I'm a guest at this moment, but this is my home. For me to wear a tie at church is a roadblock. The reason I wear slacks and a nice shirt to church is because I was raised in a tradition that when you went to church, you presented yourself to God in the best way possible. I've heard the argument before. I've heard it many times that people who dress up to go to church are just trying to show off how much money they have and how they can afford better clothes and how they have better clothes than other people. And the answer to that question is, yes, you're right sometimes. They are. Those are people of weak faith, people who have to put a roadblock in front of others, who have to judge people for their faith, and and that hurts, that hurts people. But it also is not a roadblock. There's real biblical reasons that you should dress up to go to church. If you go to Exodus, chapter 20, Moses is told by God that when you're building an altar, you need to build an altar on flat ground don't put steps at your altar it says because if you put steps on the altar you may expose yourself to god guys wore robes right we see still the hot middle eastern men right in the deserts they wear those long robe outfit things sorry i should know what they're called in those days people didn't wear underwear so when you built steps, you exposed yourself to God. In the Bible, they're called your, uh, what do they call them now? Oh, the, Well, never mind, because the word slipped my mind. Detestable parts is what they were called, sorry. In the Bible, they call them, don't want to expose your detestable parts to the Lord. So that's why you didn't build an altar. that was on flat with stairs. In chapter 28 of Exodus, Moses is getting the instructions on how to dress the priests who will be bringing the sacrifices to the altar of God. The outfit that he describes for these guys is A, incredible in detail, and B, wow, fancy and elaborate. This is how God wanted his priests to present their sacrifices. And just so you know, included in that is a garment a linen undergarment that is to go from the waist to the thighs in order that the priests will not be exposed. An undergarment that goes to the waist to the thighs. I'm sorry all you briefs guys, God himself invented boxer shorts. <laughs> we, as followers of Christ, are priests in the kingdom. Should we not dress? As a priest dress, should we not put on our best to present our sacrifice to God? To present our sacrifice to God. But just so you know, I grew up pretty poor. We didn't have a lot of nice clothes to wear to church. We always had our. My granddad used to say, "Our Sunday go to meeting clothes." We had a nice outfit you wore to church. I usually had two. There were people that didn't even have clothes as nice as mine. But no one judged them because it wasn't about what you wore, it was about your attitude. And attitude at worship is important because there's also biblical reasons why you don't have to dress up to go to church. King David is taking the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem for the first time. And the story in Samuel tells us that King David wore nothing but an ephod and danced like crazy in front of the Ark. And when he got into Jerusalem, one of his wives was just disgusted, was astonished at how he would act that way. And she actually says to him, you embarrassed yourself in the way you exposed yourself to all the young ladies and the people of Israel. So from that story, we actually get that David danced naked in front of the ark. Remember the whole no underwear thing? An ephid is this. An ephid is sort of like uh, an apron, except it's solid all the way around. No arms, so it just kind of pulls over your head, and it goes down, and it comes to about your mid-thighs. So if you're dancing crazy in front of the ark, and you don't have the whole underwear thing on... The story from... Or, uh, the, 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 the story from Chronicles that is told that same way, tells us that David at that time wore a linen robe. Which is where then we get the story that David danced in his underwear in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The truth is this. The truth is that David probably wore the linen robe, like a priest would wear, with the ephod over it. So David was probably not dancing in his underwear. He was not dancing naked. He was not being exposed. What his wife was horrified about was that David had taken off his kingly garb, the kind of garb a king would wear to worship the God Most High, and put on just this linen robe and an ephod, and lowered himself to the lowest level of a standard person, really. And then danced embarrassingly in front of everybody, exposed exposed himself in a way that he lowered himself in front of God. And David says to her, are you kidding? For everything I owe God, I should have been more of an embarrassment. I should have dressed down even more. I should have have just been the the, the biggest laughing stock of the city for everything God has led me to. And yet we continue to worry about what we were to church. We do. We continue to judge whether it's this congregation or another congregation what they decide to wear to church it is a it is a roadblock that we keep putting and we don't allow ourselves to love our neighbor as ourselves the second thing we talk about is our style of worship we are a contemporary worship church i make no bones about it and i hope this band isn't offended i'm not a contemporary worship person i'm not in fact I'm not really a music worship person. To me, music is a very important part of the worship service, but to me, worship is prayer. Worship is being in God's word. Worship is studying about the theology of the side of it. That's worship to me. The music is fun, but not really important to me. And yet, I would say in the last 25 years, music style is the biggest roadblock that churches have put up in front of each other. It is the thing that allows us to not love our neighbors as ourselves because of the worship style we use. So I'm gonna tell you what bothers people about who are not the music people in the world, okay? Because I'm just gonna be honest, I'll throw it out there. I'll tell you what my roadblock is. We sing this song in church, it's called Do It Again. So you'll recognize it. And these are some of the words. It says, walking around these walls, my wife's gonna know this because I complain about it. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hand, this is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Do you have any idea how untheologically sound that is? You have never failed me yet? By saying that word yet, we are insinuating that God, in some way, can fail us. That God may choose at some time to fail us. There is absolutely nothing correct about that saying. It drives me crazy. But. word yet doesn't mean the way I want to use it. I have to remember that the English language has a lot of nuances. So what he's saying is even though I continue to fall short, yet God, you don't fail me. I continue to need protection, yet God, you're always there. It's because I can't get over this roadblock of needing to hear these great theologies in my music. I'm going to read you one of these great theologies. This is a great song. This is from Martin Luther. Martin Luther writes some great theology hymns. Man, it's called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it says, it says, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth there is no equal. This is a great song. This is a great theological song that talks about how on earth we have surrendered to Satan, and he has this power that we do not have the ability to overcome, and the only way we can overcome the power of Satan in our world is because a mighty fortress is our God, and his bulwarks never fail. This is a beautiful song. We're at church one day with some good friends of ours, and we close church with that song. And she turns to me and she says something like, how can we close church with a dirge like that? And the truth is, it is a horrible song. There is nothing about that melody that makes you want to tap your toe. There is nothing about that song that makes you want to raise your hands in praise. It is a terrible song. The words are beautiful. The song is awful. (laughs) And yet, we put this roadblock of worship styles in our way. We let worship styles keep us from loving our neighbor as ourselves. So why is getting over these hurdles so important? What does this really have to do with loving our neighbors as ourselves? Because we all get along. We all, well, I mean, I think we do. I think you guys seem to like me. And I seem to put up with the music. Because I love this church, because I love the people of this church, because that doesn't matter. But why do we need to know about this loving our neighbor as ourselves? Why do we have to get over these hurdles? I promise you, if Paul was writing this letter today, he would not be writing about food. He'd be writing about our worship styles being our hurdles. And the reason Paul cares about that is because there's something more important than these hurdles there's something more important about loving your neighbor like yourself than actually loving each other in your church. It's loving your neighbor outside of the church and having the love to say they're wrong. For the past 50 plus years, there has been an attack on our churches and that his attack has come from people who have beautifully used the language of loving your neighbor against us. They come in and they try to tell us things like God isn't necessarily the creator, God, sustainer, God, omnipotent, God, immortal, God. They try to tell us things like Christ is not necessarily the way, the truth, and the life. They try to tell us that this book that is so beautiful, this personal note from God is just a bunch of stories. It's just a bunch of people that you got to kind of take for granted, wrote it. This is the attack that's happened in our church, and the way they've gotten away with it is they say, look, you are supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, and you can't even get along yourselves in your church. You can't get along with these people because they don't play fast music. And you can't get along with these people because they play music. We have everything from denominations that have no music to ones that sing only a cappella um, with and, and out of the psalms to a friend of mine who has a church who they play such contemporary music that once it's six months off the radio, it never touches their playlist again, no matter how much everybody loved it. And they come in and they say, if you can't love each other because somebody wears a suit and somebody wears shorts, then how can you truly be showing people you love the world? And we've bought into it. We've bought into this fear that people are gonna think we don't love them, and so we have to not tell them they're wrong. But if you're gonna love your neighbor as yourself, you've gotta take the roadblock of their not right belief, of their truly weak faith, and you've gotta tell them the truth. You've gotta tell them that someday Christ will come back and he will separate the sheep from the goats and people who are made to be goats are gonna be shocked. Because we didn't love them enough to tell them the truth. worshiping as a group is easy. Loving each other in a gym on a Sunday is easy. Loving your neighbor enough to tell them they're wrong is hard. But that is real love. There is one Savior of this world. It is Jesus Christ. There is one book that unflawed shows us the way to Him. Are we going to love people enough to stand up for that truth? Or are we going to buy into the fact that since we can't get along in our churches, we must be wrong? I wish I had a real solution for it. The real solution is this, start getting along in churches. And not just this church. My goodness, the fact that we did a worship service two weeks ago with all of the churches in Bennington in one place, that is a huge step. You guys really don't know what a big step that is. Huge. The fact that in the city of Gretna, that, that, that experienced a, a horrific loss, the Catholic church and the Protestant churches got together for a worship service that night. That is loving your neighbor as yourself. The fact that they can get along for just that little bit is a glimmer of hope. That is the glimmer of hope we need to take. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not hard to do if you love Christ first. Pick up Acts 14, then pick up 15. It tells us what Christ did. Christ came, took on human form, lowered Himself to walk with us. He hung on a cross so that our sins could hang with Him. He died and He ascended into heaven after He rose. And in heaven, He sits at the right hand of God the Father and says, I loved them more than I love myself. If we can find a way to use that example of Christ in our own lives, we will be that beacon of hope this world needs. We will go from church to church to church, reminding people that we do love them. We love them enough to stand beside them when it's tough. We love them enough to tell them the truth when it's hard but mostly we love them enough to be with them in Christ. Amen? As Sarah comes up, why don't we pray quick? Heavenly Father, you call us to love our neighbor more than we love ourselves, or as we love ourselves. And that is so hard because we are super important people. We are selfish We are hard-nosed. We are stiff-necked. You refer to us in the Old Testament that way. And yet, Lord, we need you more than ever. So, Lord, if you could show us through Christ how to be loving, how to be truth-telling, how to be forgiving, how to tear down roadblocks, and the ones we can't tear down, how to help people over them. Lord, we ask that you would walk with us through every day, reminding us always that Christ is and was and always shall be our hope for love. Amen.